This is an AMI podcast. I'm Dave Brown, and this is a podcast version of AMI's Morning Show, now with Dave Brown. Catch the live broadcasts weekdays from 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Summer traveling season, it's almost over, but it's still in full swing. Even before you get to your destination and get to your hotel, it's worth asking, has your accommodation been designed to be inclusive? As we've talked about so many times, there are multiple considerations to ensure a hotel is inclusive. Let's bring in accessibility specialist and the president of Designable Environments, Thea Curdy, to talk about this a bit more. Hey, good morning, Thea. Good morning, Dave. So, Thea, let's uh, start with something of, I suppose, a self-evident question. But who needs accessible hotel rooms? (laughs) It does sound like a basic question. (laughs) And to your point, there's still three weeks of of summer left. So let's not rush it. I know it feels like we've turned the corner here. But there's still lots of time to get away. And getting away to a hotel is often um, the choice many of us are, um, you know, make. We can't don't all all have family everywhere that we want to go. So your question about, you know, who needs accessible hotel rooms actually is an interesting one because most people think it's just a few people, but actually it's anyone and everyone. Hotel guests with disabilities can range from, of course, parents, working professionals, children and teens, young adults, et cetera. Um, And then anyone, of course, that you know in your family or in your workplace. Um, But as I and many others like to remind policymakers and stakeholders, it's not just access as a human rights issue protected under the Canadian Charter and Human Rights Code for disabled people. And it's not a small percentage. It actually benefits with these accommodations 100% of us. If you think about it, all of us are born with a disability or get one or at least one uh, during our lives due to illness, accident, or aging. And the lack of accessible hotel rooms makes it difficult for people uh, to go on business trips, attend conferences or weddings or ceremonies or be tourists uh, or visit theme parks uh, and other types of tourist attractions. I think that you've heard me talk about hashtag purple dollar before, which is talking about the economic benefit of accessibility and inclusive accommodations for our economies. Um, and unfortunately, that's been way overlooked. And then, of course, if you have a Paralympic event or a para-sport event happening in your city, Um, there's going to be large groups of people with disabilities traveling together. Mm -hmm. And the types of percentages we see in most accommodations just really aren't thinking about that at all. So with the Accessible Canada Act in place, trying to make the country accessible by 2040, there's a whole lot more we could be doing. And you know what? Every hotel room should be visitable to people with disabilities so that non-disabled people who are staying in a hotel can have a disabled friend Mm -hmm. uh, come and stay or visit them in their room. So let's talk about some of the percentages and numbers there because so many hotels love to put on their website, oh, we're an accessible hotel. And then you get there and there are all kinds of barriers you might face. Staircases going up to elevators, elevators that are too small for mobility devices, accessible rooms where the toilet is in a corridor where you absolutely could not get a mobility device in there. So how common are a fully accessible hotel rooms? So first of all, accessible hotel experience is obviously a lot more than just what the built environment is, or of course the room itself. Uh, but that's my area of specialty. Mm-hmm. So and, and as we have a limited time, I'm going to focus on that today. So I appreciate the question. 
Um, sadly, it's very rare, as you mentioned, We and, and you'll see why when we talk about the building code in a minute. Most hotels, as you said, have um, a handful of accessible rooms, and everybody's got a different uh, definition. Um, if you actually, if you search for accessible hotel standards, you're not going to find any one industry standard that people are prescribing to. Um, and, and as you said, accessibility means uh, different things, which of course means it's also then the experience of the user that is not consistent or predictable or even maybe even accessible at all. As you said, there are stairs in the way between you and the elevator. Um, so I did find some hotels that are advertising uh, their accessibility features. Uh, one of them here in Toronto has a fully modified accessible room and also a modified accessible room, which was interesting to read the differences. And then one in Vancouver, which was talking about the accessibility features they have, which is really, uh, I mean, great, but very insufficient to what we actually need. You mentioned building code, and so many times our conversations go there. What does the building code have to say about accessibility features in a hotel room or in a hotel? Well, that's one of the problems that we're experiencing is that accessibility in a building very much depends on when the hotel was built. Right, uh, because the, the when they're building the building, they we are used to thinking about they build to what the building code requires. Um, if from an accessibility standpoint, we tend to think about the the minimum that's required by building code, as opposed to the required uh, equality the, uh, from the Canadian Charter and the Human Rights Code. So unfortunately, older hotels are not accessible, and our building codes don't require them to upgrade. So you would only find the latest accessibility requirements in the newest buildings. Um, so what's required in a building and what's required by Human Rights Code, as I said, was changed in the, uh, or, or the Human Rights Code was changed 40 years ago, but our building code wasn't changed that long ago. So we haven't seen the types of accommodations, so we're seeing a real limitation. In the National Building Code, there's no mention of hotels uh, specifically to the number of uh, rooms that have to be accessible for guests. Um, the Ontario Building Code, which does have some significantly better requirements that are still deficient, um, does have some things. But what we're worried about is that there's been an announcement that the, uh, the governments intend to harmonize by 2040 all of our building codes to the National Building Code. So places like Ontario, where we have better things, we're scared about losing that. Um, a suite is defined as, as you might expect, as a part of what we, they call the rooms for hotels and boarding houses. So if you're looking them up, it's classified as a, a major occupancy group C, which is important, again, if you're involved with any policy stuff, mm -hmm. what are these things called? There's lots of stuff about safety issues for fire, but there's really nothing in the National Building Code. Now, if we move to... Um, even in the washroom section, it says that there has to be the transfer space. There's no turn space required. And it actually has some really weird language about the exemptions and the way to describe it, which I think most disabled people will find very disturbing to read. In Ontario, as I said, while they do have better accessibility, like they require 10% of hotel rooms to be accessible, they also have say that if a hotel is not required to provide more than 20 rooms, um, and unfortunately, as people with disabilities know, you can't reserve a room. Uh, you can ask for a room, but you can't reserve it. It's on a first come, first serve basis. So uh, in the building code, you know, you have to have a power door operator. I haven't seen that anywhere yet because that's new buildings, not old 
old buildings. You have to have lower peepholes for a seated uh, position or for someone who's shorter. I haven't seen that anywhere either. Neither have um, I. I haven't seen that at yeah. all. Yeah, exactly. So there's stuff in the building code, but we haven't seen it yet. So we'd only see that in brand new. And I guess I haven't been anywhere brand new. <laughs> we're not. Uh, we're not. We're not fancy and bougie like that. The. Uh... <laughs> well, after COVID, maybe we haven't yeah, been maybe. traveling as much. As <laughs> yeah, fair. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so, uh, so the AODA doesn't mention um, uh, in Ontario the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act. It doesn't mention hotels either. Um, and, uh, there are places we could find improvements elsewhere in the world. So the Americans with Disabilities Act has a transient lodging section, which includes hotels, motels, all that kinds of stuff. Uh, in the EU since 2015, they've been required to include accessibility standards. I don't know what that includes, but I do have uh, links to more resources, of course. And the International Standards Organization has a brand new 2021 standard that our, uh, standards could be looking at. It's called 21902 tourism and related services. So there, there's lots that we could be doing to improve our building codes without having to sort of think outside the box. Although thinking outside the box is a lot of fun. Yeah, let's do that. Let's actually open up the box and do some of that thinking because that's where your perspective is so valuable, Thea. What are some things that hotels and designers should be considering to make the experience more usable for a visitor with a disability? So, man, there's a lot because the types of disabilities is far more than just a wheelchair mm -hmm, user, as mm -hmm. you know. So this was a lot of fun, actually, uh, to be thinking this is an opportunity for innovation and creativity, really. And it was a lot of fun preparing for this show because I got to sort of just sit there and think and, and do some research. Um, so if we started just with the door, when you get to the room, you want to have color contrast of the frame of the door, the door itself and the lever hardware to make it easy to see and use. You want consistent place for the signage identifying the room with color contrast and braille that's always placed on, beside the handle side of the door on the wall. You need to have um, locks. You know, how they get those cards now? We don't get keys anymore. You get a card and you have to try to sl slide it into this little tiny slot. Oh, it's brutal. Uh, you want proximity card that just unlocks as you wave the card at it would be much better. I haven't seen power door operators, as I said, which are required, but you want them to be activated with the lock. So when you pass the lock in front of it, the door just opens. Wouldn't that be great? Um, things like having a door knocker and a door bell, which makes a distinctive ding-dong recognizable noise, and then lights that flash inside the room for people who are deaf so that they know that somebody's at the door. Um, having multiple height peepholes, so not just a lowered one, but a regular standing height one and then a lower one as well. Soundproofing of the door would be amazing. Oh, Soundproofing yes, please. The walls. Yes, please. <laughs> I've been woken up so many times. Having a coat closet that has coat rods that could be adjusted to different heights. So just having diff different supports, you can pop the rod out and lower it if you needed to. Uh, cabinet hardware that can be operated with a closed fist. Um, making sure that you have a safe reach uh, or sorry reach for the safe within the closet um, and controls that are operable to close fits and large buttons um, for blind hotel guests you want to make sure that the path of travel is clear of obstructions like trash cans and coffee tables um, and the barrier free path of travel within the room not only has to have the clear width for an assistive device but also the turning space and storage when you're not using the assistive device and most of them don't have that uh, in fact if your decorations or furniture allow for flexible and movement, then you can rearrange the room as your individual needs uh, require. In the washroom, 
again, we said they don't have turn spaces. That's ridiculous. We need to have that. Uh, slip resistant tile is very important. An emergency call from the in the bathroom so that if you fall and you're on the floor or you're on the toilet and having an emergency or fallen in the shower, um, you know, have to have uh, access to that. A raised toilet seat. That, so that shorter people can use the regular seat or transfer from their equipment, but people who are having trouble with their hips uh, can have a portable raised toilet seat uh, that is delivered to the room, just like extra pillows or extra blankets could be. So there's a ton of things. In fact, I've got a whole other page here I don't have time to get to. <laughs> well, Thea, that, yeah, we're a little tight for time here. So, so are there any other resources available or maybe we can direct people to your social media where I'm sure you're going to post some of this stuff? Right. So I have four resources, one from the ADA, um, one from TripAdvisor from 2011, which points out accessibility is not standardized, as we said. Um, and then there's a wheelchairtravel.org um, website that's got a, they created a matrix measuring hotel accessibility from 2017 by John Morris that I think is brilliant and I'd love people to look at. So again, we always encourage folks to check out your social media. I know on Twitter, it's uh, at T Curdy, T-K-U-R-D-I. And of course, the folks can find you on LinkedIn. They can look for designable environments uh, because you're always up to something good. So along those lines, Thea, any upcoming events you want to highlight for us? Sure. I'm not doing anything, thankfully, in August. Taking wow, a bit of a Thea, break. taking a little break. Good for you. <laughs> I know. Think about that. Um, but um, I am a part of the International Accessibility Professionals Organization, or the IAAP, and they're doing a network and learn session that's coming up on August 18th to understand what being a certified accessibility specialist is and how to become that, that many people might be interested in. On August 31st, there's a, a webinar that's happening at Cornell University online um, called Strides in Recreation Accessibility, um, and it's about viewing recreation uh, and the application of the ADA and what's working and what's been forgotten off, uh, often. Um, but the biggest news for upcoming things for me is that you guys have asked me to come back for a third year here with the Now with Dave Brown show, so I'm really excited to tell everybody. Well, there you go. We're, we were super thrilled to hear that you're coming back on board, Thea. You're one of our absolute favorites. You always give us such great perspective. We always thank you for your time because we know you are so busy, but enjoy a little bit of a a more laid back August. Have yourself a great day. Thanks, you too, Dave. You've been listening to Now with Dave Brown. Hit the subscribe button on any podcast platform and leave us a rating and a review. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Juita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.